in his book uh, entitled Fortitude, Congressman and former Naval officer Dan Crenshaw talks about a day that he left his office and was walking to the Capitol uh, for a vote on a bill. While walking uh, that way, he came across a group of young people who were protesting, which is a common sight. But what caught his attention is he couldn't figure out what the young people were protesting for. Stereotypically, there's a phrase or a word that immediately lets one know uh, who is protesting or what the issue happens to be, but he didn't see that. All he did see, however, was two words on t-shirts. The words were, stay outraged. Why that? Why those words? What in the world would compel someone to want to have perpetual anger? Uh, Does anyone actually want to stay outraged? Does anybody really want to do that? Do you know anyone who's constantly angry? Do you want to be constantly angry? Do you want to hang around anyone who is constantly angry? I think um, the answer is no, but yet if we consider our, our current social climate, I think that's a fair question. I think people are angry. We know they're angry. I think there are times that we're angry. And yet, I think we're tired of being angry like that. As a nation, we are staying outraged. I know that there are people who think that this is the fault of the president because of the way that he talks and the way that he tweets. But really, honestly, we were angry before He came on the scene. We have been angry for years. Uh, It doesn't matter who's in office. We live like this. We're so angry that there are people holding signs, encouraging us to stay that way, recruiting anyone who isn't that way to be that way. And quite frankly, there aren't only people who are coming on board, they're buying tickets for that journey to stay angry. It's surprising though, considering what we know about the ill effects of anger. In a recent online article entitled, Seven Ways Anger is Ruining Your Health, um, there are some things uh, on that article that I want to share with you, just a couple of them. Anger, number one, anger puts your heart at risk. It's noted that in the two hours following an angry outburst, you're twice as likely to experience a heart attack. And anger doesn't just put your heart at risk. It also increases your uh, uh, chance of stroke. Uh, In that same two hours, if you don't uh, experience a heart attack, you're three times as likely to experience a stroke. And lastly, one other thing I want to share with you. Anger weakens your immune system. A Harvard University study found that in healthy people, simply remembering, not experiencing it, but remembering an angry experience causes a six-hour dip in an antibody that is the first line of defense against infection. So, so let me get this straight. We have people who are encouraging us to stay constantly angry Knowing that staying angry can decrease our immunity. And that's all happening in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, there's not a problem with that at all. 
The Bible takes those negative physical characteristics of anger and then takes them a step up into the areas of our emotional ability, our intellectual ability, and our spiritual ability. Psalm says, don't let anger control you. Think about it overnight and be quiet. Proverbs says this, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. And lastly, Ecclesiastes says this, control your anger for anger labels you a fool. That's that emotional, intellectual, and spiritual context. That anger has a negative capacity for. I say all this because there's an interesting story about Jesus that I think you and I need to take a look at. At first glance, it doesn't seem that Jesus knows what the Bible says about anger. Again, just at first glance. And if we didn't know better, at first reading, one might think that Jesus gets angry and loses control in all of this. I want us to look at the story because if Jesus is not uh, uh, exceptional, if he's just like everybody else who, uh, who tell you and I to control our anger while they don't control theirs, then let's just call it a day and go home from right now. You can turn me off and, and, and just end it. But I don't think that's the point. I think there are some lessons here that we can learn. And if we can learn these lessons about controlling our anger, about when it's right to be angry, when it's not right to be angry, then I, need, I think we need to find out what those lessons are and apply them to our lives. Let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 11 where we find this story, starting in verse 11. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. The next morning, they left Bethany. Jesus and his disciples reached Jerusalem. He went into the temple and began chasing out everyone who was selling and buying. He turned over the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. Jesus would not let anyone carry things through the temple. Then he taught the people and said, The scriptures say, My house should be called a place of worship for all nations. But you have made it a place where robbers hide. The chief priests and the teachers of the law of Moses heard what Jesus said, and they started looking for a way to kill him. They were afraid of him because the crowds were completely amazed at his teaching. So what do you think? Do you think Jesus got angry and he lost control? If you think that, then my question is this. Why did it take him so long? Why did it take him so long to get angry and lose control? He was in the same place the day before. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus had been in the temple. He's in the same place the day before. He sees the same thing on both days. It says that he looked around carefully at everything. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that what he saw the day before is what he saw on this day. So why the two different reactions? Why does he leave one day, quietly, without an incident, and the next day, he makes a scene. Why does he do that? You and I have already listened and watched Jesus do things that were very unexpected. He doesn't take the bait on arguments when people challenge him on points. We will see that again next week. 
And he challenges the religious status quo uh, uh, about the things uh, uh, of God while not going against God. So what is happening here? What's going on? The day before this happens, Jesus rode into town like a conquering hero. And everyone knows who Jesus is. It's not as if they're wondering who the madman is in the temple today. They know who he is. But on this day, he walks into the temple and he makes a scene. He turns over tables, stops people from doing the things that they're doing, and starts uh, uh, teaching Maybe with anger, maybe with a loud voice, it doesn't say, but I can imagine he, he, he might have. Why does he do this on this day? What did Jesus say? He said, my house should be, call, should be called a house of worship for all nations. Jesus, at the first part of his teaching, is actually quoting the Bible. He's quoting uh, the book of Isaiah, which is found in the Old Testament, And what the prophet was talking about in Isaiah chapter 56 is how God would not keep anyone who committed themselves to him from being able to come to him. In other words, there's no hindrance, there's no limiting of the access to God. And what is it that Jesus is seeing? He turned over the tables uh, of what were called the money changers. Uh, people who are selling things. It's at these tables where temple taxes were taken. Temple taxes were not a part of the Old Testament. That's something that the religious leaders came up with. Some scholars even talk about taxes being required to be paid in local funds, using the local form of money. You know what that means? That means if you come into town with one form of money and uh, a store is only going to accept a different kind of money, then you need to exchange that money. And you and I know that there are exchange rates for that, which meant they were making money on those who are traveling, wanting to come and worship God. The whole point is this. Jesus was angry because people were limiting. They were hindering access to God. That was why Jesus was angry. You couldn't go, to go and worship God unless you paid for the ability to do so. And Jesus wasn't having any of it. God goes out of his way to come to people. And people are getting in the way of God. That's why Jesus was angry. In our day, this still happens. It may not be used with money, but there are other ways that you and uh, that uh, other ways, intentionally or unintentionally, where people put tables in the way, tables for political positions or doctrinal positions, tables for how people look or what people like. Tables for the the sins that we know people have committed or the sins that we think people have committed. Tables for people who are poor or tables for people who aren't poor. A preacher friend of mine tells a story about how one day uh, during a welcome time that they had in, in the middle of their service, Um, A a well-known and long-time church member uh, noticed a a person who had come to church for the first time, walked up, introduced himself, shook his hand, and then asked the man, greeted him, and asked the man to take off his hat in the building because that was the proper thing to do. That first-time guest left and never came back. 
Really? The hat was that important? I suppose we make a habit out of making things that don't matter, matter. In anger, Jesus turns over the tables. He makes a scene. But did that do anything? If it's just nothing more than making a mess, then why do it? It seems that he makes a scene and before it starts, it seems that it's all over. Troops didn't have to come in and settle everything down. It's over before it started. I think Jesus, at that point, used just enough anger to make his point. The point that I'm getting at here is that he controlled himself because he knew God had a plan. He uses anger just enough to make his point, and then he moves on. Jesus demonstrated control by waiting. Waiting for what? The lesson here is that it's not that you and I should never be angry. That's not the point. The lesson is that <clears throat> there's a time to be angry and there's a time to have self-control. Many of us are frustrated. And it seems like we've been frustrated for a long time. Not just the time of the pandemic. We wonder when God's going to get involved. When he's going to do anything. Is he going to show up? And I would like to remind every one of you that God already has. Jesus didn't walk into that temple on that day with the idea of reforming what was happening in the temple. Jesus was saying he's going to do away with it. He came into Jerusalem on one day and later... Uh, by the end of the week, he was arrested. And the day later, uh, during, uh, during the trial after his arrest, he was uh, charged with blasphemy. He said he was the Messiah. He was telling the truth. The religious leaders of the day said he was lying. A day later, he was executed on a cross for that lie. That was when Jesus did something about access to God. That was when he didn't just turn the tables over. He did away with them. The Bible says that when Jesus died, something amazing happened in the temple. You may or you may not know what the, table, what the temple was shaped like, but, the, but you walked into the, uh, into the temple and there was one large room, but at the end of that large room, there was another room, a sacred room. It was separated uh, by a large thick, heavy curtain. And the Bible says that when Jesus died, when he died on the cross, that curtain tore from top to bottom. Now, the significance of being top to bottom is you couldn't just uh, uh, get a lift and go up and tear that. No, because it was torn from top to bottom meant that God tore that curtain. He took down the curtain that separated the most holy place that only one man on one day of the year could go into. And now anybody could go in that room. God did away with the limited access that people tried to uh, place. He made a difference. Now, when no one else used to be allowed to go in, everybody can go in. When no one else had access, everyone 
had access. No more curtains, no more tables. This was God's plan. I like how uh, a preacher and author named Tim Harlow uh, puts it. He says that on the day that Jesus died, God gave everyone the opportunity to get a backstage pass. It's a really neat story. He tells of when he had the opportunity to perform a wedding for a rock star. He uh, was uh, friends with a band member of an 80s band named Styx. Now, some of you probably know right away who I'm talking about. Some of you may not. You can Google it and find out. But the fact of the matter is he knew the drummer for the band Styx. And this drummer, because of his relationship with Tim, wanted Tim to perform the wedding. So on a day when there was a concert in town, they were going to perform the wedding in the middle of the concert. That day, Tim was given an all-access pass, a special pass to get him backstage everywhere. He got in, had uh, dinner with the band before the concert, had the best seats in the house for the concert, and then when the band began to play the song Mr. Roboto, some of you will know what I'm talking about, when the band began to play that song, that was his clue, uh, his cue to pick up his Bible and go to an access-only door, go backstage, and when the song ended, a lead singer Dennis DeYoung says, we're now going to have a wedding. And he introduces Tim as Tim walks out. And John Pisano, the drummer, and his fiance Jan come on stage and they perform the wedding. And he said it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. God, through Jesus, gives you and I a more amazing experience. He gives anyone who comes to him through Jesus a proverbial all-access backstage pass. You and I can go through a special access door because of what God did through Jesus. That's the whole point. God has a plan for you to come back to him. God made that plan possible because of what Jesus did for you and for me. The access that you and I gain through Jesus can give you and I comfort when we're overwhelmed. Uh, it can give us con uh, confidence when we're afraid and can give us peace when we're really angry. And we have that confidence and that peace because God has a plan and he's carrying it out. The choice is yours. Perpetual anger or God's answers. A peace that comes from knowing that God has a plan or worrying that your plan just might not work out. You controlling your anger or your anger having control over you. It's your choice. Right now, you might be saying, Shan, I don't want to be angry. I don't want to worry. I don't want to be frustrated all the time. But you know, right now, it's really hard because of everything that's going on. So much is happening. And I get that. But with that in mind, I want to read a post that I uh, saw this week. And it's from uh, uh, the Improving Taunton Facebook page. Last night, my elderly father went missing. He was eventually found safe. 
But as stubborn as he is, and getting confused in his old age, he went off his simple path and drove around for hours, trying to find his way home. In those hours, a desperate family drove around searching, but we weren't by ourselves. We had help. The police, the VA, Facebook tips, and literally hundreds of family, friends, acquaintances, and complete strangers were all helping. Posts were shared. The news ran the story with facts and details. People were out searching parking lots. Hospitals were on notice, and the police and VA had alerts. He was found miles away, riding on a flat tire. In addition to my gratitude, the author writes... I want to point something out. No one checked his voting preference. No one asked his opinion on masks. No one called out fake news or bad police. No one checked his skin color. You get the point. Here's the bottom line. I tear up a bit about the fact that it was people who helped along a lost man Find his way home. Jesus came to make a way for lost people to come home to God. God didn't want anyone to get in the way of coming to him. He wanted no one to hinder you or me to be able to get to him. So he sent Jesus. And through Jesus' death on the cross, we now have a way to God. That's as simple and as easy as us just calling on Jesus' name. Jesus doesn't care about your past. He cares about your future. And he's waiting for you to call him right now. God, thank you so much for making a way for us to get back to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to call on you, to lean on Jesus, to put our trust in him, to be baptized into him, and to begin a new life. God, we're worried. We're afraid. We're not sure what's going to happen. We try to listen to news, but listening to the news only seems to make things worse. God, when things were at their worst, was when you were at your best. God, you save us, not because we're worthy, but because you love us. Father, help us to call on you. Help us to reach out to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.